Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Good morning today. I am happy to welcome you to uh, Living a Legacy Life. Uh, As you know, we we talk about legacy every week, and thank you for uh, coming with us. And today we have uh, Jennifer Dukesley, who we had a couple of years ago. And so it's really fun when we have a repeat. And I want you to go back. I'll link her um, other podcast in the show notes so that you can hear about her her last great book, um, Growing Slow, I believe that was the name. That's and um, and I just want to ask you, audience, if, as you enjoy these each week, if you wouldn't mind sharing this the podcast with your friends and and maybe your enemies, it could help an enemy make into a friend, I would think, especially when you're talking to someone like Jennifer, especially when we talk about this book today. Oh, you're just going to be delighted. And also, please take the time to leave a review. And that helps me and this podcast. So Jennifer Dukesley, you are a mother of two girls, right? So we're sort of related that way. And you live in Iowa, and my husband's from Iowa. So uh, would we just, in case people don't know you yet, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, where you're from, and your ministry, and then you are the author of seven books. So Jennifer, welcome once again. This is so fun, and I love the theme of your po- podcast. That's a, I have a heart for that, so I'm excited oh. to get to talk some about legacy. That's oh, such a great, great, great theme. I'd forgotten that. Uh, but I am. we're trying to build a legacy here on a farm. Um, this is a legacy farm. We have been wow. farming since 1870. Not we ourselves, we're not that old, but it's a fifth generation, <laughs> five generations of Lees. So wow. five years after the Civil War, the first of the Lees were farming here. And um, mo- more than likely, we will be the last because we don't have somebody in the family that's interested in farming. Uh, but that is our life. Our day-to-day life is life on the farm. Scott grows corn and soybeans, and we raise pigs as well. Fun. But while Scott's planting seeds, I'm planting seeds with words. And mm. I have been uh, writing ever since I was a little girl. I used to mm. be a newspaper reporter, and now I'm the author of several books, Bible studies, a journal that we'll be talking about later. I'm also an acquisitions editor for a company called Baker Publishing Group, and the division is Bethany House Publishers. So um, about half of my work week vocationally is spent mentoring other authors and helping them put good Christian books out into the world. And and I get a lot of joy out of that work. Um, It's the quieter side of my work life. Hmm. Not the more, you know, public part of my ministry, but I really thoroughly enjoy the work. And also we have two daughters and we are empty nesters now. So we're adjusting to that. So, you know, when you have adult children, you do start to think about legacy more. And I think too, just like we hit that, both Scott and I hit that 50 mark recently and um, we were meeting with our financial planner and he says, oftentimes people like hat, there is a shift that happens. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my dad just died and, and uh, you know, we have an empty nest and we turn 50 and all those things have us 
really thinking about what kind of legacy do we want to leave? What, what is most important? So I really just appreciate your focus on legacy on this Mm -hmm. podcast. And I'm really, really grateful to be here. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. It's, it's something I think uh, it takes a a major shift in our lives, whether it's empty nesting or an illness or a death or moving even uh, for us to, to, uh, I think to shake up our normal day to day, because when we're raising kids, as I recall, it's just so much, you just move to the next schedule, to the next thing, to the next mini crises or huge crises, and you don't have time to reflect. Um, and so maybe that's why I started this because this is my fifth going into my fifth year of talking to people about their legacy. And it's, I just talked to two 29 year olds and I thought, okay, you know, you're already thinking about legacy. Good for you. And, um, and, and it's, it's huge. It's huge that we do it now, right now, because otherwise you don't want to waste that time. And of course you didn't, and you are continuing not to, um, we're going to talk today about your latest book, which is really a guided journal. Could you give us the title, please? Because it's kind of lengthy. <laughs> yes, it's called Stuff I'd Only Tell God. <laughs> and uh, the subtitle is A Guided Journal of Courageous Honesty, Obsessive Truth-Telling, and Beautifully Ruthless Self-Discovery. Wow. It is a lot. But I, I dreamed that up, Sue. Uh, we were watching Netflix one night. I was on the couch. I'm just like, what do I call this thing? And we had a really boring subtitle on it. And publisher didn't think it was right. And I didn't think it was right. And I was just like, what do what what is this thing really? What is, what do we want people to feel and experience? And that just it kind of came came along. I'm like, Scott, pause the show. I gotta <laughs> tell you this. And so that's how it was born. But it is a mouthful, but it's super fun and intriguing, I think. It is too. And the and the font is so cute as well. I it just is. love the brightness of the cover. Uh, I'm gonna repeat it for my audience. Stuff I'd only tell God. And when I told a friend I was interviewing an author of that book, she just went, Wow. Like she obviously needed the book when she heard the title. Stuff I'd Only Tell God, A Guided Journal of Courageous Honesty, Obsessive Truth-Telling, and Beautifully Ruthless Self-Discovery. Why do we need this book and who is it for? We need this book because, first of all, if you just think about journaling in general, and I know you know, um, journaling is a very therapeutic practice. Um, Counselors and therapists will tell you that you need to journal what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and where your areas of growth are. I'm not a counselor or a therapist, but I know enough about journaling to know that indeed it, it produces healing. It's and, so um, true. It so does. True. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing it does for a Christian is it, when we journal, I think we journal differently than the world does because while we're you know, unloading our thoughts. I I feel for most Christians I know who journal, we're also talking to God. It's a way of bearing our souls before God or even prioritizing things with God. You know, there are gratitude journals and prayer journals and scripture journals and all kinds of journals. And this is those things, all of those things, but it's also more. Uh, The journal is really aimed at helping you get to know yourself better and to become more intimate with God and honest before him. People are often like, well, doesn't he already know anyway? (laughs) True enough, true enough. But so in in the same way as an analogy, when my husband comes home at night from the barns, he knows me very well and he can tell by my body language and because he knows me for all these years, 
what I'm feeling and maybe what struggles I'm having and how my day was been. But um, that's not enough. We need to talk to each other about it. Yes, he knows already. Scott mm-hmm. knows already what I'm going through, but I, he doesn't know fully, of course, because he's not God. But there, there would not be a good relationship if I didn't share with him. And the same is true even more so with God. There's not an intimacy with God if we just say, you know what, God, I already know you know my thoughts, um, but we're just going to leave it at that because I really don't want to talk to you about it. That's mm-hmm. not the way he intends for our relationship to be. So my hope with this journal is that it would take people on a journey to see where God has been all along in their lives and um, trusting more that he will be there for, for, their, for them in the future. And um, also, there's a lot of stuff in here that helps you embrace kind of like your weird, wonderful self. Mm-hmm. There's so many like really quirky <clears throat> questions in the journal. It's not all serious. It's not all like, oh my goodness, I have to dig deep into my past and deal with all this stuff. There is some of that. But there's also just a lot of really fun things in the journal that I hope will bring people joy and remind remind people that God has a sense of humor and totally. that God, yeah, like God <laughs> created us so uniquely and beautifully. And I want people to to get to that point too. Hmm. While you're talking, it remind me of a story. My brother, um, when he was on the mission field, he it was head of an office and at, at lunchtime, everybody would leave the office, but he would stay and fast at lunch, every lunch. I thought, wow. And he goes, and one time God told me um, that he was proud of me. And I thought, wow, he wouldn't have heard that if he hadn't sat still long enough to hear it. And we don't hear what our hearts are really saying or feeling until we sit still long enough, maybe even to write it down. And so um, this is a great guided journal. I like this line. Think of it as your own confessional booth. Uh, can this book replace therapy? I'm sorry, but that was one of my questions. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have $150 an hour to go see a therapist this week, buy this book. <laughs> yes, it's like only $16 on Amazon right now. There we go. <laughs> and no, I mean, obviously it doesn't replace therapy, mm-hmm. but I ha- already have um, in just the two months this thing has been out, therapists telling me I'm going to be using this <gasps> with my clients. So it's really, really cool to you see should, that. You should send it to the Christian colleges that have... Um, biblical counseling as a major just send them them a free copy from your we'll have your editor do that and just say this might be something especially the the ones who are just starting out you know the the counselor my daughter's an mft that's why i was thinking that would be great um you refer to two virtues at the very beginning ruthless honesty and generous compassion why those particular two and uh, just explain that why you put that in there so ruthless honesty first um I think that is really critical. I know in my own journey uh, toward faith, it was, I grew up in the church. We did all the churchy things, but I uh, had deep intellectual doubt that mm-hmm. had to be worked out over years with the Lord before I became, came to a saving faith. I was, I, I was kind of, I guess, agnostic for lack of a better word, because I just couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And only when I got ruthlessly honest with myself and with God and um, began to, you know, sort of interrogate the Bible, I guess, um, did I come to a saving faith? Hmm. So honesty was the way to Jesus for me. And I, I found that he was so welcoming of it wow. in the same way that he was so welcoming of Thomas and his doubts. Like I was doubting Jennifer. And I feel like Jesus was saying, well, here's my nail scars and here's the, 
here's my side. You can see that I am who I say I am. And so that brought me to a place of faith. And I think being ruthlessly honest about our past is really, really important. And ruthlessly honest about what we want our futures to be is so important to um, help us get on the path that we want to be going down for the rest of our lives. Jennifer, haven't you met people who have been just as ruthlessly, ruthlessly honest about their questions of God and have decided to turn the opposite way? In their honesty, they didn't uh, come to the conclusion that God was real. Yes, I. but they're not right. <laughs> they didn't dig enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. They didn't but ask would, enough, enough questions? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they may have come to that conclusion, but mm -hmm. it, there is, in my view now, I, I used to think I was too smart to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And now I realize I'm too smart not, you know, not mm -hmm. to be one. Like I, I, that would be, that, that would be really foolish. And so I think I would just, just encourage people to continue knocking and to continue seeking and look at prophecy and see how the whole story ties together and how it can't be anything but real. And um, so I'm, I, I have no doubt that people have, studied and come to a different conclusion. I just don't happen to think that's the right conclusion based on who God says he is. I went through a, a terrible time of doubt uh, for about a year and a half in college. And I remember finally telling my favorite professor, I said, you know, Mr. Hills, I have doubts. And it just killed me to have to say that. And he said, well, Sue, um, if God isn't big enough for our questions, then he's not a big enough God, is he? So and good. he has no recollection of saying that. And I said, that practically saved my life, just that mm -hmm. one sentence. That's so so it, there's, the, there's the whole thing about being honest with someone that you can trust. And certainly you can trust a journal. So the other thing I was asking you about, the other virtue is why generous compassion? Is that compassion with yourself? Is that what you mean? Both. Um, so you will come to the end of this journal and undoubtedly have more compassion toward yourself and more compassion toward your past self, especially, mm -hmm. and more compassion toward other people, even the people who've hurt you. So it, it's like this, for instance, there's a letter in there where you write to your 10 years ago self. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pages where you think through things of your past. And when I got to that letter and answered it myself, I realized that I didn't look back and resent younger me. I looked back and I felt an admiration for her. Like she, I am who I am now because of who she was then. Mm -hmm. The decisions that younger Jennifer made, the mistakes that Jennifer made, um, the risks, my goodness. Some of the things I look back on younger versions of myself, I'm like, wow, that was so cool that you did that. I mean, there are things that I feel like now I might not feel that I could do. I like I, what I have the courage to do some things now that I did in the past. Mm -hmm. and so in this way, I'm, I'm looking back now at my younger self with more compassion than I did beforehand, because when I've reflected on previous versions of myself in the past, it's just kind of a passing glance of just seeing, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, or, regret, oh, regret, regret, regret. And now I, I have a sense of admiration and love and tenderness toward, toward that person. Mm. And I think, you know, not toward every person of my past do I have a great yeah. deal of compassion for, particularly those who were, you know, potentially abusive or caused tra traumatic events in my life. But I am able to move forward um, in more wholeness having done that. And I also think, you know, like there's a section where you talk about, like, you think about your parents and your grandparents and 
um, it's it has helped me think more compassionately about why my parents and grandparents are the way that they are and why they made the decisions they made to to raise me and into the woman that I am now. And it it changes my outlook on on just a lot of relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. We are so quick to judge when we're young. And I think a part of that is just our age that we've gone, wow, I've made so many mistakes. I'm a lot more compassionate towards other people, you know, and I had this, oh, let's see, how old was she? 31 year old for, for coffee last week. And she just started off by saying something. And I just said, you know, that's very judgmental. And I didn't even know her. And she goes, you're right, it is. But, you know, it's easier for me to catch it because I was that person. And um, the more fault I see in myself, I can be compassionate because God was, is with my sin. But realize, I just love it that you went through that whole process and that you could admire your younger self. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, Why do you write, it takes courage to be vulnerable? Aren't we past all the angst of junior high and insecurities of past failures at our age? I mean, I'm 20 years older than you, but aren't we past that? Why do we still have to struggle with comparison issues and... Um, well, even regrets. Why We're does not it take? Past it. <laughs> <laughs> At least this one is. Maybe I'm the only one in no, no, the above fifty crowd. But I mean, you know, to to be that level of of vulnerable with other people and um, to say, look, here are my flaws, and here are my scars, and here are my wounds. It's really well. First of all, I think it it, it seems hard to find people who will receive that. At times, I think in, in friendships, I, I have a handful of friends that I feel like I can be that mm-hmm. vulnerable with. Agree. Um, I, over time, um, we've been vulnerable and we have felt the sting of rejection. And mm-hmm. we just we just have. I mean, you, you, in junior high, but it stings when you're 45 years old, too. And and, um, you know, you're having trouble with your teenage kids and there is some level of judgment that can come, for instance, from other moms. Sure. Um, and at, in the in workplaces, we experience it. And in our careers as authors, we experience it, seeing maybe success, uh, the kind of success that we've wanted with our own books. Um, we see somebody else living that out that's maybe 20 or 30 years younger even, and yep. feel like, I've been doing this forever. And right. what? <laughs> so, I mean, all of, the, all of those things are real. And my goal with the journal then is to take that, um, instead of just stuffing it down and not dealing with it, to take that to the pages of the journal and in essence, to take that before God and say, here's some areas where I'm feeling insecure. Here are some areas where I'm struggling with comparison. Here's where I'm dealing with anger. Here's where I'm dealing with deep sadness and heartbreak. All of those kinds of um, soul searching questions are inside of the journal. And I take you on the journey to unveil all those and put them before the Lord, which I think is really important. I don't know how you came up with so many questions. I mean, every page I thought, oh, that's a good one. And I've written a book, uh, 252 Conversation Starters. So I'm kind of into this world. I Um, did not know that. It's so much fun. I started with uh, I started with 202 just because it was cute and did it digitally. And then my daughter goes, no, you need to have a book because, oh no, my my mentor said, you need to have a, a small book. So I, I built it up to 252, divided into things like, were kids asking kids questions? Because you can train your kids to be good conversationalists with adults or with their friends uh, when they're young, you know, and then and then um, Christian questions as well as secular ones, because I, I have wine nights where people are not believers, and <laughs> most of them. And so I always do two questions. One is to get them 
to get acquainted. And then the second one is to get it to a deeper level. For instance, I'll say, um, what did you want to be when you were younger, when you grew up? You probably had that question in your book. And it's, yeah, you do, because I recognize it. And it was hilarious to hear the answers. And then I said, and who are you becoming now? So then it becomes to a deeper level and then um, friendships are made from it. And then it's just, it's just great. So yeah, I've been into conversation stars, but you went way beyond what I have done and I'm not feeling small. I just think it's exciting. And, uh, but my, I had a few favorite ones. Um, there are some that made me cringe, like, oh, I don't think I really want to answer that. So speaking of courage, um, one was I would hate I would hate it if this if this person got their hands on this journal. <laughs> that that was my kids, <laughs> my kids is undoubtedly what I wrote down in mine, and I in fact have a pact with my best friend. Get over here if you die. If I die before you, get over here and burn these things. And yeah. this is where they're yeah. hidden. Yeah. And then I, I, I've got this. You know, I'm yeah. I have charge of hers as well. I have thrown so. out. I've thrown out some journals just in case that happens. Uh, I love the whole page 31. Oh, let's see. I vow to do better. Oh, that was such a good page. Let me read that. I don't have my reading glasses on. Yeah, it's got a whole list of um, how you vow to do better with the people in your life. Yes, that yeah. was so good. But in what ways to do better? Yeah, That's so on I'm... that that page has okay. a number of choices for people yeah. to answer. Mm -hmm. So you could add your own if you wanted to. But a few that I put on there were like forgiving more, going right. first, being kinder, putting my phone down, mm -hmm. offering the gift of touch. So did you see any of those, Sue, I, that you I were put, like... I put assuming others have good intentions because... Uh, you know, I'm I'm married to a, a person who doesn't talk in general, and so if he would hurt me like early on in our marriage, I would I would have to think through that he didn't mean to, he just didn't get it. So when I would say, you know, I know you didn't mean to do this, but, so I'm assuming the best, and usually that was the case. He's oblivious. You know, he's, he's brilliant in some areas, but not particularly in that one. And so that's just a way to show love and to to do better is to always believe the best because that's straight out of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I love showing gratitude, of course, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, what did you mean? Li oh, lightening up, not taking things so seriously. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> a great one. Like, just, you know, just get over yourself as it's not a nice way of saying it. Uh, admitting I'm wrong. Oh my gosh. When I could say that to Mario, guess what? I was wrong. And Mark just sort of lights up. So uh, to vow to do better with the people in my life, that was certainly one of my favorites. Um, I, I have one of the two that, that I've been thinking about a lot, a lot lately in my own journal is the very last one on that page. I vow to do better by offering the gift of touch. Mm. I feel like since COVID, when we stopped hugging each other right. and touching each other and no mm -hmm. more passing the peace, um, I'm, I'm more resistant to move forward with like touching an arm yeah. or giving a hug, even right. to somebody who clearly needs it. And so um, I obviously want to respect people's boundaries, right. but I do feel like I'm missing it. And I feel like people around me are missing the gift of touch. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite prompts was... Well, actually, I wanted to say about that page 31, people should buy it just for that page. But you could have had a chapter on each one of those things, just like what you just said. You just said that thing about COVID. I still have to say, oh, are, are we hugging? You know, when I walk into someone's home, because uh, even though it's been over for a while, it's not for some people. That's right. That's it's not right. for some people. That's right. Absolutely. Um, 
My favorite was on hard day, on a hard day, this is how I know God loves me. I thought that was a great prompt. Yes. Um, give us three of your favorites. Can you of my favorite of questions? Yeah. Um, I like the whole section um, called Conversations with Jesus. Oh, me too. And um, there's about um, 12 different prompts or something like that in the section. So what I did in con Conversations with Jesus is I went through the Gospels and looked at all of the questions that Jesus asked people often right before he healed them or in the midst of something really cool mm -hmm. that was happening in the gospels. And he was pretty provocative with some of his questions. Yeah. And so I listed many of my favorite questions and then leave space for you as the journaler to answer. So for instance, you would think about, um, one of the questions is, do you want to get well? Mm -hmm. And so then in your own life context, if Jesus were in the room, like, how would you answer that? Or another one of my favorite in that section is, why did you doubt? Oh, yeah. From Matthew 14, 31. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I realized as I wrote the questions down into the manuscript and as I answered them myself is that for most of my life, when I've read the questions in the Bible, I've read them with a certain kind of a tone, like, Jesus being like, why did you doubt? Like scolding almost. Mm -hmm. But when I began to explore the questions and look at them in more context in the verses and then answer them myself, mm -hmm. I hear now in my mind a kindness and compassion mm -hmm. from Jesus. Like, why did you doubt? Like, I almost feel like him embracing me. Like, come on, honey. I, You didn't have to doubt me. So mm -hmm. that was a a really cool shift for me in that section. Um, there's another section that I think is really fun um, at the end where you talk about um, all of the things that you're dreaming about. Like I dream of learning how, I dream of getting to know, I dream of being able to afford, I dream of reuniting with, hmm. I dream of getting over. It's like this whole thing, like just, it helps you look forward with a hopefulness and to dream again, because Honestly, Sue, a lot of people have a hard time dreaming yeah. because of the fear of disappointment. Right. And so these pages in the dream section help you to look forward with hopefulness and write it down and maybe that you will gain the courage to get after it, whatever that happens to be. And then um, just like a the whole lost in translation section is maybe one of my favorite. Yeah, it is definitely one of my it favorites. It was very unusual. I was going to ask you about that. Um, how did you even come up with that? Explain to the audience well, what we're talking about. Okay, so there's a um, there's a section, three different sections in the journal called Lost right. in Translation. And mm -hmm. um, I explained to the journaler that the English language has a lot of really cool words, like thousands of them, but sometimes there isn't a perfect, succinct English word for whatever we're feeling. And so I went to our friends around the world in other languages and found words that have no English equivalents. And how did I you put, do that? How did you find the words? Well, I knew, I knew one, I actually knew two, but some that there's one that's not in there. And, um, but one that I knew for sure was, um, saudade. And it's a Portuguese word that oh, speaks of belonging, right? It's homesickness. Uh, yes. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and but it's a deeper one, right? And you, yeah, because you know Portuguese, you know. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, when I was a first grader, I learned that word because we had a um, 
an exchange student from Brazil, and Ooh. she taught me that word. And I felt it as a first grader when we said goodbye, because she was like my sister. I still yes. even cry, you know, yeah, I can hear it. so special. So there's that feeling you have mm -hmm. and there's homesickness doesn't even do it justice. So that's mm -hmm. one of the words in there is Sadaji. Mm -hmm. And so I just began to um, collect the words. I mean, I would, I would see them. There was, there was one word that was in um, book thief and I can't remember what the word is, but that made it in there. Um, you've probably heard of wabi-sabi. People talk about wabi-sabi and it's a Japanese word that's finding and appreciating beauty in imperfection. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that it took a long time just looking online and finding words and talking to people from other languages, Googling, and came up with a few that I really, really loved. And the point being? Well, just to book. have fun. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> you know, because I, I want people to think about who they have Saudaji for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want people to think about, um, you know, wabi-sabi and what is something that they can find in a beauty and appreciation for something that's imperfect. That's important to do. I want people to laugh at whoever the guitarra is in their life. And a guitarra is Italian word. It's reserved for women who take care of a lot of cats. So like <laughs> well, my best, yeah, my I best wrote friend. someone's name down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so, I mean, it's just fun. It's yeah. like, it doesn't have to have a deep and meaning. Some of them are pretty deep and meaningful. There was, there's a word called Kummerspeck in there. Mm. And uh Kummerspeck is a German word and it literally translates to grief bacon. So like eating bacon from gr grief. And it's a term that use is used to describe weight gained due to emotional overeating. Now wow. that, yeah. So Kummerspeck might be something that's really humorous or it yeah. might, you know, you might approach that uh, question and cry, you know, like you might mm -hmm. have this moment of, oh my gosh, you know, after my, uh, after a, a child died, you know, maybe you mm -hmm. gained a bunch of weight because you were so mm -hmm. sad. I mean, mm -hmm. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. what people are going to feel. And so some of the questions in there, I, I don't know, like mm -hmm. I keep telling people, I didn't launch my book. I launched yours because oh, it's, only so really, it's only really going to come to the fullness of what the book is intended to be when you approach it. And it's everybody's book is going to end up different. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't want anybody reading mine. Um, you write in your introduction that the reason for the book is so you can make each day count, which of course um, I thought of right away because of this legacy podcast, uh, making our lives count from here on out legacy living. How can a guided journal help us live a legacy life? Well, the whole I have a big um, question, right? So that's a great question. Um, that's toward the very end. Um, I have a section called me and my future. Mm -hmm. And so you really think about what your future, what you want your future looking here on out and also me and my present. So as you've gone through this whole journey of thinking through your past and thinking through the people who have intersected your life and who have influenced you for better or for worse, then you have all of that information to help you decide what do I, what do I want life to look like here on out? And so in the, you know, the dreaming section is a part of that. You get to make some vows at the very end. Like these are three things I'm going to do to improve my mind these are three things I'm going to do to be better in relationships. And you've gotten hints of that on the previous pages when you've talked about conflicts with mm. people and when you've thought through healthy relationships. These are the three things I'm going to do to draw closer to God. These are three things I'm going to do to live healthier with my body and to accept myself and to offer grace. So you make all these vows and um, 
you've, you're kind of like charting forward a pl plan in multiple areas of your life. And I think you're absolutely right. It really does then uh, come down to uh, legacy. Right. Um, why did you include a whole section on money? I found that cur curious. Yeah, I think that we make a lot of decisions and there's a lot of things that we can't do um, because of financial matters or how we view money. And my goal with this uh, book was to touch as many aspects of a person's life uh, as possible. I don't have huge financial problems or constraints, but I know that some people do. I know that mm -hmm. some people have like overspending problems or some people carrying a lot of credit or some people are pinching pennies or some people just don't want to spend money on anything because they're afraid. And so I don't make any judgments about the way that people approach those pages. I expect people of all of those different areas to come to those pages and be able to think about like, this is, this is my relationship with money and how it's influencing my life. Mm -hmm. Just in the same way that you, on previous pages, you talked about how people were influencing your life and how, mm -hmm. um, you know, your past was influencing your life today. Money is a huge issue for people. Um, and there's never like any kind of judgment on what people's answers are. I don't come around after you fill out a section and say, okay, Sue, now you must know that this is the way you should think, or you should believe this because this is in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I let God, God can make space for that with you. You, nobody who picks this book up is going to feel judged right. or that they can't say that thing. I have questions in there. Yes. About money and how you feel about it, but I, I have sections in there like this. These are things that I don't believe about God anymore. Mm -hmm. And or these are things I don't believe are true anymore. Well, just write it down. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to come around on the backside on the next page and tell you how you need to trust God. Mm -hmm. That's up to you and God. So I, I, I feel like it's a very non-judgmental book that just encompasses the whole human experience. Uh, well, you, I think you answered my next two questions. One is, is your hope that your book will help us know ourselves better or accept ourselves more easily or grow into better people. And I would say all three. Yes, yes, and yes, you got it, Sue. That's right. And is it to be a change agent for your readers? If that's where... If they allow it. Yeah, if if that's where they're going with it, if that's... Mm -hmm. it, I think the depth that you're willing to go is yeah. the, the fruit that you'll see on the other side. So yeah. that's my hope, I think, as authors. And I know you know, because you're an author and you're doing this. We do what we do because we hope it produces real life change for people. So yes, that is my hope. But ultimately, it will be up to the people who use it. Um. Is, could it be used in a group setting or no? I think so. Um, I've been encouraging that with uh, women's groups, not so much like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a Bible study. I'm talking like girls night out type stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, your, your wine event that you have, mm -hmm. this would be the kind of thing that you could pull out and ask questions. Um, there's some questions that probably aren't going to be um, fitting for a, a you group. know, a big group setting, but I do know that spouse, I know spouses that are going going through it together. Oh, wow. Um, I That's know great. families on summer vacations are doing it together. Um, I talked to a young couple. They just both finished their freshman year in college, a young man and a young woman who are madly in love and they're going through it together as, okay. as part of their dating. So it's like, it's, it's amazing. Some moms are doing it with their daughters. Uh, a, a guy in uh, Eastern Iowa bought it for all of the staff at a homeless shelter over there. Wow. I mean, it's, it's really, really cool how it's being used out wow. in the world. Really, really great. 
Uh, what two things did you learn about Jennifer by writing the book? Well, one was the what I had mentioned a little bit earlier about having compassion toward my younger self. Mm-hmm. That's definitely um, definitely one because I now admire some things about younger Jennifer that I didn't really see or appreciate until I've gone through the journal myself. And the second thing is how far I have yet to go mm-hmm. with courageous honesty when it comes wow. to being real with God. Um, I have come a long way but there is still a lot of room to grow. Hmm. Yeah, I'm reading through the Bible. Um, one of those you know, Bibles that are set up where you do the Old Testament, New Testament, everything. And I just have these questions like, what did you mean by that? And why, is, that. It, and why is it in the Bible? My margins are not um, big enough. I think uh, we can get stuck too long um, by looking too long and too hard at our past. Uh, at times, and I know you you know that we're not supposed to be navel gazing the rest of our lives. You know, we're supposed to you know seek seek God first, set our minds on things above, all the the things that we are supposed to be doing. Explain um, what you mean by holes and gardens. Okay, so the there's a section in the past right. um, that you're talking about me in my past, and the first bit of that um, asks the the person to. Imagine their life as a patch of earth, which of course, because I'm a farmer's wife, I'm always going to go for the land metaphors and to imagine that if your life were a patch of earth, that you would see holes and you would see gardens. And so holes are the things that pockmark the soil of your life. Like when you go out in your yard, or at least when I go out in my yard, sometimes I'll hit a little dip in the, in the yard and you can't always see it. Um, And so some of the holes in the patch of earth maybe are, um, from real pain that mm-hmm. in your life or something that was happened to you, their wounds inflicted on you, they're, um, they're in the soil of our heart, right? And so there's other things in our soil too, and those are gardens. And the gardens are the places where good memories have grown and where how you will we'll see that you were blooming in places that you didn't even realize mm-hmm. or how that became such an important part of you or a, a fun part of your past. So that whole exploration is permission to just say, hey, look, we've all got gardens that are beautiful things in our past, but we all have holes. And now we're going to go on a journey and take a look at them both. Hmm. And I really, really wanted to balance it out with, yeah, with the I gardens. Love that. I wanted to, I want people to see the gardens. Yeah. I think women in particular are so guilt-ridden. You know, as soon as the baby comes out of the birth canal, we start feeling guilty about something. Their feet are too cold. You know, we don't really know what we're doing. <clears throat> and then that gets fed by people's criticism as well. But our self-critiquing mechanism, my girlfriend calls it her bad girlfriend in her head. Mm-hmm. And so those are the holes that are there and they need to be filled up with compassion, both by us and also uh, knowing that God loves us. Absolutely. Um, so much. Is there this question I had right at the beginning when I started going through it? Is there a right or wrong progression? No, I have it the way I have it for a reason. I think it makes the most sense to okay. follow page by page. <clears throat> but I have a note in there to the reader to choose your adventure mm-hmm. and also to skip pages that are just too hard. My hope is that mm. people will answer the hard the, questions, the, each of the, the hard questions and you know, at least come back to them. But if, if you're just stuck, just move on to another page or go flip through and find one of the pages that has silly things like, would you survive a zombie apocalypse? You know, that kind mm-hmm. of silly stuff that I think is just fun. 
Well, I like the happiness bingo. I might use that. <laughs> That's great. Print I that off. That. Yeah. So uh, as you know, I always ask about legacy. You've talked a lot about it already. Does this book fit into a legacy that you want to be leaving for those who know and love you? Yes. I think that... Um... The actual, I don't know that I want to have my family read it, <laughs> the the one that's the most honest version, <clears throat> but there's so much in it that I almost want to like fill out another version of it that I can just tell them some things like about my childhood, about the, the things where places I've suffered in my life and places I've grown. I think it's really important to be as honest as I can um, with my family in, in that legacy. But the thing that I um, wanted to share about legacy is actually not related to the journal, Sue, but it, okay. and maybe I've shared this with you when I've been on in the past, but um, it's journaling inside of a Bible. I have been creating legacy Bibles for both of my girls. Oh. One daughter already has her Bible because I read through it in a year. And now I'm working on Anna's Bible, but um, I go through the Bible in a year, Anna's is taking two years, um, and I go through every page, and on every page of scripture, I find something that I want them to know about the character of God, or a you know, giving them permission to ask God questions. I put silly things in the margins, um, reflections or ways that God is speaking to me, or how much uh, something means to me in scripture that I that I hope that they never forget. So everything is specific to my children so that when I'm gone, they can flip through that Bible and see how precious his word was to me and how precious they were to me as well. And how did you find a Bible that had that much space? Um, I just got a regular, um, from day spring, I just got a regular ESV journaling Bible. It's not a ton of space, but you know, I, I just write like one thing, you know, one paragraph, one short paragraph per page. So wow. Yeah. And did you give the first Bible to your daughter already? Or are you waiting till you die? I gave it to her already. Oh, okay. and the other daughter knows that I'm, um, I'm working, working on, on hers. Yeah. What a gift. I remember you telling that story It is so good. Why is one taking two years? Because it's just taking me longer to get through the Bible. Okay. I just, okay. I wanted to spend more time yeah. with it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to just set like, Oh, I got to do this in a year so that God loves me. <laughs> no, it's like take two years this it's, time. It's just taking it's, longer. I have you, when you've told that story to your friends, have they taken up the gauntlet? Are they doing it? As oh well? yeah, lots of people have. Many, so many great. people have started to do legacy Bibles. I've written about it um, extensively. I can probably send you a link if you want to put one in your show notes. Yeah, I sure. On would. how to put together a legacy Bible. Mm -hmm. um, how does your life embody God's welcoming heart? That's my last question. Well, I sure hope it does. That's that is the vocationally. It's it's why I do what I do. Um, it's why I show up on social media every day and, um, post something that brings people encouragement or hope. It's why I serve, um, on Sundays in my little country church. It's what motivates me to, uh, work on mission for God. And it's why I work with authors, welcoming, welcoming them to the editor table, so to speak. And, um, yeah, I hope that I embody that and mm -hmm. that I can that God continues to grow me in that area. Well, God is all about invitation, and I'm glad that he invited you into my life, and this has been such a blessing. Would you like to give away a copy of your latest book, The Journal? Absolutely. To my listeners, I didn't ask you in advance, so I'm hoping you would say yes. <laughs> Yay! Course. Okay, if you would just uh, comment on the Instagram this week, uh, it'll go for a whole week, and um, or send me an email if you're not on Instagram. 
And uh, we'll put your name in the hat. Thank you so much, Jennifer. What a blessing you are. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.